Hey there, and welcome back to the BB Marketing Asia podcast. I'm your host, Joe Escobedo, and very excited today on the show. We're talking about ABM, a hot topic very much in B2B and especially tech B2B. And so that's why we're going to be focusing on how B2B tech brands are doing ABM in APAC, Asia Pacific. And joining me today, our special guest is Hui Yi Sito, who is the head of marketing, digital media solutions, business and enterprises at Adobe. Hui Yi, thanks so much for being on the show. Good morning, Joe. How are you? Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, absolutely. This is going to be a fun one. I know you're very ex experienced in ABM. So let's go ahead and dive into it. I think a lot of people are trying to figure out what is ABM? How do we define that so we can start the conversation? And then we'll later we'll talk about the different approaches around ABM. Sure thing. Um, ABM, as we all know, stands for account-based marketing. Um, and typically, what that means in the B2B world is, you know, it's either a one-to-one -one flavor or one-to-few or one-to-many. And I always tell people there are 50 shades of ABM, really, in that whole spectrum, right? Um, so ABM really is about going after a very specific and targeted list of accounts that we've defined with the, with the business and putting in a very concerted effort across sales, marketing, and the wider organization to consistently engage and target them um, and bring them through a journey uh, in the funnel, right? Um, mm -hmm. Now, the, I, I think one of uh, my learnings is that um, ABM can often be um, misperceived as just a marketing function. Mm -hmm. um, but to me, in the B2B world, it really is a, a very tight interlock between sales and marketing that brings in that engagement to life. And that, to me, would be real ABM. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're right, because a lot of people wonder, you know, why is it called account-based marketing when you're absolutely right? It, a lot of it is involving sales. So can you give me an example of how ABM involves both marketing and sales? Yeah, I think a really good example, if we look at it from a one-to-one -one perspective, first of all, is that if you're working on, um, you know, pursuing um, a, a given focus account or a large deal, right? Mm -hmm. A prospect that, that you know, is very warmed up to your business and you want to further engage them to deepen that relationship and bring them towards um, a one, a win, rather. Um, an example of how sales and marketing work together is to really map out an engagement journey and a strategy that cuts across the organization because marketing cannot be seen as just a silver bullet, right? Everyone plays a role. So whether it's CSMs and sales and sales consultants, product, um, having that broader team come together to map out what the engagement strategy looks like and how we want to bring the prospect through their decision-making funnel and journey, step by step. Um, that's where the real uh, interlock begins with uh, the business and marketing. And that journey is never linear. You're going to have prospects and you know um, customers in general um, going from one stage to another, but stepping back on occasion, um, the relationship is generally very, very dynamic. So you've got to be very agile um, and very uh, and have very deep insights into the customers to understand how to dance with them, really. 
it's it's like dating, right? You yeah. can't just <laughs> you can't just expect a customer to warm up to you after the first date. It really is a journey you need to bring them on. Um, so that's where the sales and marketing and a broader business interlock needs to happen. I, I love the analogy of, of dating. I use, often use that as like many salespeople get down on one knee and try to propose to their prospect on the first date. And it, <laughs> as, as you pointed out, you know, it, it doesn't work out that way. If it, you tried that in the dating world, you, you find it quite awkward, but uh, a lot of times it happens Absolutely. to be sales. So maybe we'll talk about kind of the different strategies. You talked about one-to-one, one-to-few, and we'll talk about one-to-many. I guess the first question, if we zoom out a bit, how do we decide which approach we're going to go for? Uh, that's a really good question. I faced that many times in my previous roles. Um, I quickly learned that not every account deserves or is ready, rather, for mm. one-to-one. Um, and I realized that there were times when you needed to just zoom out, like you say, into a one-to-few mode or one-to-many mode because the customer isn't ready or internally we're not ready. Or we don't have a perspective, we don't have a view to go out um, to talk to the customer about, right? Mm -hmm. So perhaps um, a one-to-few approach, uh, an analogy I can give is an industry approach. Mm. If you think that you have a perspective at an industry level or at a segment level or a buyer behavior level, if you have that perspective, you've got something to say, you've got a, you've, you've got a, a point of view, that's where you should start off with, right? Mm. Um, and it's often also a lot faster. And you can scale. Um, in the one-to-one mode, you often cannot scale as quickly um, to talk to a few prospects with your same point of view. So you may want to step back and think about what is your one-to-many view or one-to-few view mm-hmm. and scale very quickly um, and get that coverage, right? Um, so one-to-few would be industry or buying behavior or some kind of theme or use case. Um, one-to-many would, I would say, be a lot more, how would I put it? It would be it, it, akin to the mass marketing version in the B2B world, mm. for lack of a better analogy. In the B2B world, if you're going after a set of focus accounts, you still need to give them air cover overall, right? Mm-hmm. You still need to do your thought leadership. You need to have a very tight content strategy that aligns to your business priorities and is customer-centric at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But after that, you need to segment into one to few and ultimately one-to-one along the way. Um, I would say that you need to perhaps do all three motions at some point in your B2B career or within your role in a B2B uh, tech marketing company, right? You've got to have all three levers that you can work on at any one time. Got it. I think it's a very clear explanation. I think I'm very clear on the one-to-one, focusing on one specific organization. Um, one to few, you talked about a very good point in terms of focusing on maybe a specific industry or a specific buying behavior or a specific maybe persona or segment, really to narrow it down and then go deep into that. Um, I guess the question mark a lot of people have is still the one-to-many and how does that differ from, I guess, traditional marketing where you kind of go, you try to mm. go maps in general? 
Yeah, so maybe mass was not the best word for it, but uh, what I meant to say is that in the one-to-many ABM model, it's really about a maniacal focus on that set of accounts or prospects, right? And everyone, you know, getting behind it, really. Um, you can you can scale quickly through digital, obviously, hmm. and through digital means you can track their behavior. You can you can look at what they're doing online. You can look at how they're responding to your content. Um, and in most organizations with the right um, automation and analytics tools, you can really track that down to the individual, which gives you a lot of insights as to how you should be engaging with them, when, how, where, um, and what to say and what not to say. Um, and that will give you further insights into how you want to further segment them into one to few later down the uh, later down the journey or uh, later in the funnel, right? Mm. Um, so that's where the difference is. And I would say that um, in the one-to-many ABM world, um, it's it's about you know making sure that you've got the right um, digital strategies to to really find the content strategy and a user journey that works for them. It's going to be a lot of testing and learning. Um, in my previous experience, it was a lot of testing, learning, adjusting the user journey, adjusting the kind of messaging we go out to market with, and you know, keeping that engagement going because you're constantly optimizing. Uh, absolutely. I'd love to hear more about your testing and learnings in a little bit. But I guess I want to just make sure I have the point um, clear in my head. It sounds like some companies could potentially start with a one-to-many approach, see who is engaging, look at the analytics, see who is actually engaging with their content, and then narrow that down to a one-to-few, and then potentially narrow that even further down to a one-to-one um, approach. Would that be something that's possible? Yeah. Ideally, that that is definitely the best case scenario, but that often doesn't happen. And mm. I would even suggest that you might, you could do a few things in parallel, right? You definitely want to do the one-to-many ABM, mm -hmm. learn from that and for the segment into one-to-few, but it doesn't stop you from doing the one-to-one ABM in parallel. Mm. Because at the one-to-one -one level, if you've got enough customer insights into large accounts, um, and the customer is ready and internally we're ready, you can already start to engage in a one-to-one -one level at an ABM level, right? And and in the background, um, one-to-many takes place, one-to-few takes place. It doesn't stop you from trying one-to-one -one at any time. Okay, got it. So essentially companies could do multiple approaches. They could do one-to-few, they could do one-to-many at any given time. Yes, but you've got to be resource for it. That's one caveat, yeah. right? Because one-to-one, -one, it doesn't cost a lot in terms of marketing budget, but it does take a lot of brain space. Mm. It really does. Because as an ABM marketer, you want to go really deep. You want to spend the time to sit with your sales leaders and the customer or the prospect to understand what's happening in that account, what's happening in that industry, and to work with the broader community within your organization and the customers to have a point of view and then bring that to life to the marketing mm -hmm. campaign. So that takes a lot of uh, energy, commitment, 
resilience um, to stay the course, right? Yeah. Um, so just resource for it carefully. One to few and one to many, obviously, you can scale through your digital means if you have a, a, a media agency, all the better. Um, and it's just, uh, I would say it's, it's, it's less intense than a one-to-one -one engagement. Mm. But the rewards in a one-to-one -one engagement can be very, very high. As a marketer, you feel skin in the game. You get just as excited in pursuit of that deal as a salesperson does, right? Mm. Um, and you feel, um, just as much sadness if you ever lose a deal. Yeah. You, feel very you feel very vested, is what yeah. I'm saying. Um, one to few and one to many, they're still really important because in field marketing, that's your role. You've got to look for growth. You've got to look for the next, um, next high propensity prospect that, mm -hmm. you want to, that you want to engage with and, and, and uh, uh, court, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's just a very different level of marketing from one-to-one. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and we, we work with a lot of enterprise clients in the tech space. And one thing that I'd love to get your thoughts on is, you know, I guess the question is the risk and return. What are some of the rationale? Is it, for example, if a you know, potential client has a very big potential ticket size, or is it, are you trying to penetrate multiple um, business units or multiple geographies? Is that where you would focus on a one-to-one -one approach versus maybe a one-to-few or one-to-many? Um, typically for a one-to-one -one engagement, because there, there are so many resources uh, engaged in that, in that account or that deal, you mm -hmm. want to make sure that it is um, high propensity and therefore mm -hmm. ready. Um, and has the potential. So you've got to do a lot of homework before you put that virtual team together. Mm. Um, is the deal size large enough to warrant that number of resources, you know, to be engaged? Um, mm. Is there growth in the industry? Um, does that company have a vision to transform um, their processes and the way they do things, to transform their people, their technology? That will mm. give you insight and a tip as to whether you should be investing that, that time and energy in pursuit, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, like I said, bring a lot of good points. I definitely want to touch on resources and then you're learning in optimization a little bit. But one burning question that I constantly get, and I'd love to get your thoughts on, I know there's no right or wrong answer, is the account uh, size, so the, the number of accounts. Mm -hmm. So. How many do you generally recommend for a one to few, for example? One to one is pretty self-explanatory. It's usually one, but like a one to few, what, and once again, there's no right or wrong answer. I'd love to get your thoughts on how you would define that, that range in terms of number of accounts. One to few. Yeah. One to few. It depends on the use case or the industry or the theme, right? Um, there's no right or wrong answer, like you said. I mean, in my experience, I've done anything from a few thousand accounts to a few hundred, but high propensity accounts. It all depends, you know, how you qualify that list and how you mm. put that together, right? Um, and it's based on a few things like, like, like I said, propensity or um, uh, the growth potential, um, the engagement level that we may already have. 
with a mm -hmm. set of accounts, right? So you kind of have to weigh it all together. Mm. Would, you know, lead scoring and things like, come at, like that in the marketing side, because usually sales team would, would do the, well, hopefully a good sales team would do like the research and understanding the, the growth potential and the propensity to buy. Would you marry that? You already talked about analytics with, for example, lead scoring. If you have a lot of senior executives engaging with your content, do you marry that with what the sales team is saying and interacting with people on the ground? That's an interesting point. Um, I've encountered salespeople who tell me that they don't believe the intent data they're seeing. <laughs> and I don't blame them. I don't blame them because, you know, at the intent level is, is usually aggregated, right? Mm. But at the sales level, you're speaking to people on a one-to-one -one basis. Um, yeah. So you kind of have to weigh them both. At the same time, you've got to tell the sales leader, look, this is what the data is telling me. You know, I can't really argue with that. The challenge is, yes, I can't pinpoint it to an individual or pinpoint it to a certain department, but this is what it's telling me at the broader level. Now let's go to, go into the account together and validate that and find out. But at least mm -hmm. this is a guide to help you prioritize our effort. You know, that's a starting I, point. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a big question for a lot of marketing and sales teams and who actually leads that. Uh, in my experience, the sales team has generally developed that list and marketing has helped maybe validate some of the things based on their their analytics because to your point, they are on the ground, they are speaking to people uh, more often. So sometimes they have a better sense of what the propensity for someone to, to buy is. So um, That's quite right. a good yeah. approach. Yeah, and you kind of have to, you know, use what they're, what they're saying qualitatively to give color to the quantitative evidence, I suppose. Absolutely. Um, I would love to get your thoughts on kind of the, the process. How does, we talked about the different approaches, defining them. Laying that out, you talked about the engagement journey and things like that. How would an engagement journey differ, uh, you know, the tactics you would actually implement in a one-to-few, a one-to-one, -one, and a one-to-many? Oh, let's start with one-to-few. No, let's start with one-to-many. One in the one-to-many world, it's all about scale right mm. scale speed um and very top of funnel messaging and, and top of funnel content strategy mm. and that's your that's your wave your first wave to draw them in and engage with them right um so tactics i would say is largely one to many uh digital um simplistically speaking in the one to few world that's where you can get a little bit more creative with um, experiences, whether they are virtual events or face-to-face mm. -face events, um, more exclusive roundtables. You may even want to look at third-party sponsorships, which are aligned to your uh, segments and themes and industries. Um, that's where you can get a little bit tighter when it comes to thought leadership content um, and the publishing platforms that you go with. Mm -hmm. um, you might want to invest um, more in nurture mm. yeah, further down the funnel. Um, and then when it comes to one-to-one, -one, yeah, that becomes very, very tight. That becomes much more intimate. Uh, you might want to look at things like um, customer-specific events. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you might want to look at customer specific or deal specific collateral. Mm -hmm. um, for example, you might want to produce perspective videos or animations that tell help you tell the story in a short, concise way, mm. but in a very fun and animated way as well. Something that it will engage that specific prospect that you're targeting. Um, I've worked on perspective videos for a multitude of um, C-suite uh, prospects just to get their attention in a, in a high-level meeting, mm -hmm. uh, which then gets repurposed into a broader um, uh, format, for example, an employee town hall within that organization to sell in the vision. Um, I've also worked on customer-specific um, assets um, in pursuit of a specific deal or, uh, or, or to open doors to a specific C-suite within that account. Mm. So it gets a lot more uh, intimate and a lot tighter when it comes down to one-to-one. -one. Very, very interesting. I, I'm smiling because it kind of echoes my own kind of the way I run my business. But I want to find out more, a little bit more about the perspective videos and assets. If you give a, an example, I personally would love to hear more on what that actually entails. Um, it's a lot of storytelling. And it's about having a very clear narrative and clear perspective of what you want to say to that person or to that account. Um, and it's about helping them understand your vision and your desire to help them achieve their goals, right? You know, one of the things that we often forget is ultimately when organizations transform is to give their end customers a better experience. So how can we as vendors help them achieve that? It's about showing our value proposition in a very, in a storytelling way, right? That brings it to life. So you've got to put on the, put on their lens and put yourself in their shoes and tell the story from that perspective. Um, never talk about product. Don't do that, mm. right? That's just a big no-no. When you're selling, when you're selling a vision of, about how you're going to help them transform, you've got to talk at a very, very uh, aspirational level. You've got mm. to inspire them and um, give them that reason to change and to change sooner and to mm. change sooner with you. Got it. I'm, I'm pausing because I'm taking all this in. These are some really, really good points that you're you're bringing up, and it's 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 making me think about some of the things that I maybe am doing and I'm, I'm not doing currently in my business. And what I at least see a lot of organizations doing is, I guess, yeah, you're, to your point, a lot of too much we focus on the product side and not focus enough on the aspirational side, getting them inspired, and that's really what I guess makes the big change within organizations is not really focusing on maybe the tactics and things like that, which that's I right. probably overemphasis on too many times. I'm, there's a couple different ways. And like I said, there's no wrong or right way. One way in which I've seen it done well is to, because a lot of companies like focusing on the competitors. So showing what the competitors are doing, yeah. how far they are behind that kind of approach. Um, that's right. another, another approach that I've kind of taken is looking at um, companies outside of their space. So previously I was working with one of the top uh, universities in the world on their content strategy. And one of the things I, I did is, okay, we looked at, you know, the Harvards and the Yales and the Oxfords of the world, but on a marketing side, it was quite, quite similar. So there wasn't that much in terms of like aspirational drive there. 
But then I yeah. said, okay, look at what some of the best tech companies are doing. Look at what some of the best um, e learning companies are doing. You look at Masterclass, you look at what HubSpot and Adobe are doing. And from there, you kind of get inspiration because it's it extends beyond what their their little space is doing and gets them thinking about ways outside of the box, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And you've got to give them ideas as well, right? Like I said, yes. it, it inspire them to think differently. Now, having said that, I've got, I've got to perhaps frame what I just said a little bit more. Um, my And I'm speaking from um, my prior experience, not necessarily at Adobe, but my previous lifetimes as well, right? Mm, yeah. um, my experience has been largely enterprise. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when you're speaking to the C-suite of a prospective company in another enterprise, that's what I mean by don't talk product, right? Mm. So... There is, um, there is an ABM for every kind of situation from one to one to one to few to one to many. And likewise, for every kind of industry or segment or, or, or target account you're going after, um, there may very well be circumstances where you do need to talk about product. But that's probably further down the line. Mm. You know, but um, at a higher level, when you're trying to draw them in at the top of funnel and sometimes even at the middle of funnel, you need to think about what is your value to them? You know, how, you, how are you going to help them transform their business better so that they can achieve their customer uh, and customer goals uh, better, mm. right? Faster, more efficiently uh, with, with uh, uh, the kind of transformational journey that they are trying to bring their own customers on. Mm. At, that's another interesting point that I just recently saw someone posting about is not only focusing on your customers, but your customers' customers and going that's through right. your their website and seeing who their existing customers are, um, hopefully speaking with some of their marketing or sales leads to figure out what kind of accounts they're trying to achieve. I mean, that's yep. essentially the closer, the closer you can get to that as possible, the easier the sale comes into play. Um, that's right. That's right, absolutely. And a lot of research is involved with that, you know, whether it's primary research or secondary research or desk research. Um, I used to comb through, you know, the C-suite's LinkedIn or press articles or anything just to get some insight into the C-suite and to understand their vision of the, for their own company about, you know, uh, being able to get to market faster or transform their own customers' journeys. Mm. Um, and that gives you a lot of insights once you put in the effort to do the research. Absolutely. No, I love the example of, like I said, following the the CEO or president on LinkedIn, going through some of their press articles, seeing what they're talking about in, in interviews. Um, one thing I used to do as well is if it's a, a listed, publicly listed company, um, look at some of their uh, quarterly, quarterly uh, financial reports right. to see what is the That's executive... Right. Uh, statement. Yeah. What are some of the things the CFO and the CEO are talking about in terms of their their goals for the, for the company, where they see the the growth spots, and reverse engineering that and using that back into the your messaging, your sales process. Yeah. Oh, I love that word, reverse engineering. I totally agree with that. I can relate to that. <laughs> I, I absolutely. Like I said, I'm I'm a big believer in reverse engineering basically everything because I'll be the first to admit I'm not the, the smartest to predict. So it's much easier for someone who kind of knows where they're they're going to, to basically to your point, bridge the gap in terms of how you can help them. I was talking about this in my uh, my class I teach for, for master students. 
strategy is essentially going from where you are now to where you want to be. And your job is literally that that piece in the middle. And you bring up a very good point in terms of storytelling. How do you bridge the gap and show them the aspirational side? Because sometimes they may not know. Sometimes you may have to guide them. Yeah. So, uh, other times that they do know, they have a clear vision. So your job is to figure that out and figure out what is that end goal? What does that, that finish line look like and work backwards from there? That's right. That's right. People tend to start with tactics. Um, you know, I've had sellers coming to me and say, hey, I want to do an event for XYZ client. And I'll often go, wait, hang on just a sec. But why an event? And actually, you know, let's take another step back. What are you trying to achieve? So as a marketer, you've also got to qualify uh, the needs of, of sales. What are they trying to achieve? And show your value as a marketing advisor and a consultant to help them achieve that. Because sometimes, you know, you don't need to do an event. It's sometimes mm. about something else. You know, you got to get to the root cause, right? And that's your value as a marketing advisor um, to help your sales customers do that. Yes, and I, I'll be the first to admit I am guilty of going the tactics sometimes because it's <laughs> you know, the, the funner thing to do. But to your point, yeah. It, it's, I guess it also drives only smaller potential growth within it, within an account. Like, so I think yeah. that's something that the real, if I look at sales professionals, some of the best ones, they focus on that aspirational because that's yeah. where the larger ticket items are. If you're focused on, on tactics, you may be only sell, be able to sell one or two products um, or services. But if you're selling the aspirational, then you can kind of, bundle in multiple ones and they can see how it fits better. So that's for me is the biggest, one of the biggest takeaways from this conversation right now is that you know, right. focusing on the aspiration, um, not so much in the tactics. Like I said, I'm very guilty of that, but I think after this conversation, I'm going to tweak the way <laughs> I you know, operate. So, you know, some really, really good points in here. I'm, I'm learning a lot. This was like a masterclass for me. So thank you so much. The question I want to get to was around, um, you talked about, learning and optimization. I don't want to give away everything, but what were some of the biggest key learnings that you've realized? Um, say you've been doing this for a while. What, what's some of the mm -hmm. things that you would want to tell other marketers based on your key learnings? Mm. Um, I would say that in order to drive or to, to power a, a, a one to many ABM, you've got to have that buy-in from the business that this is going to be the segment that will go target together. Mm. Some organizations waver, right? Mm. So between the start of the year to the end of the year, that set of accounts or that segment that we want to go after together, it starts to morph into something else completely. Mm. <laughs> And that results in a lot of wasted effort because, you know, we're not changing the, a, a strategy should not change. The strategy mm. should be very, very clear. The tactics can change, but the strategy needs to be very clear up front and everyone just goes together, right? Works as a team, mm -hmm. uh, you know, put some concerted effort and commitment behind it and go for it, right? Um, my biggest learning would be that lockstep needs to happen to define that strategy up front hmm. and go after that together. Um, I know it's, it can come across like motherhood and apple pie, but I can tell you that there are some organizations that still can't make that happen. 
Mm. It is easier said than done. Trust me on that. <laughs> that would be my biggest learning. And um, yeah, please go ahead. No, absolutely. I think that was the question I was going to ask is, you know, consistency and discipline sounds like it's extremely important. I guess the question is, how how often do you would you evaluate? So are you looking at strategy from like a one year to a year, multiple year thing? And then you would maybe evaluate that quarter on quarter? Or how would you kind of mm -hmm. initially build up the plan? And how would you really how often would you reevaluate that? Typically quarterly, because that's the usual cycle in any uh, organization. Mm -hmm. So I would say quarterly cycle um, to evaluate. Um, and, you know, that differs. Like, you know, one-to-many quarterly makes sense, mm. or even one-to-few. In a one-to-one instance, things are so dynamic. We can even, you know, do checkpoints every week. Mm. Because it's about, you know, what has changed from the last meeting? You know, what are we going to be doing differently for the next uh, board meeting that we need to present at? You know, mm. uh, what did the the target persona that we've been pursuing say to the uh, sales that will change the way we're going to be telling our story. Mm -hmm. Every week, something happens. So it gets very, very dynamic in a one-to-one -one situation. Absolutely, some really, really good points. I think you've, you've answered every single question brilliantly. I know it's a not the easiest topic to talk about. Like I said, I've read many, many interviews. I've watched lots of videos and stuff like that. But I think this for me is, I'm, I'm a bit biased, but this is the most practical interview I think we've had on ABM. So th thank you so much for that. I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all your brilliant insights with us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Joe, for the opportunity. Yes, my, my pleasure. I guess the last question is, how can people get in touch with you if they want to find out more about you and what you're up to? Oh, uh, they can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm on Instagram, but that's my sort of public photography <laughs> profile. Nothing to do with ABM or work. <laughs> that's my creative outlet. But yeah, right. look, up, uh, look me up on LinkedIn. Wonderful. Well, Hui, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to share all of your brilliant insights with us. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Joe. My pleasure, too. Have a great day. Wonderful. Well, guys, thank you so much for watching and listening for today's episode. I'm, I always tell you to share, but this one I, you definitely have to share with your, your colleagues, your bosses, because there's so many practical um, insights in here. So thank you guys so much. Stay safe, take care, and we'll see you soon on the next episode of the B2B Marketing Asia podcast. Bye, guys.